Welcome to part two. If you haven't listened to part one, which is episode 14, go back and listen to that episode first. We rejoin the conversation where part one finished. I'll give you his question, which is, what is your favourite native species of reptile or amphibian? Oh, well, oh, okay. Well, um, ooh, that's a difficult one. Slightly's favourite, what's your favourite question? Because as an all-rounder, yeah. It, it changes quite a lot. Um, but I think if I can cast myself back to before the 1981 Wildlife and Countryside Act, you see, they all get me excited, but it's the ones that you have right at the beginning, those sort of seminal experiences that that really give you that thrill of discovery that we've already talked about on this programme. Um, and that would have to be great crested newts. We, I was very lucky when I grew up in Sussex. We had a couple of ponds or quite a few ponds in the village which were absolutely heaving with great crested news. And as a kid, this was big game. You know, we'd go out on Saturday mornings with our nets and we'd go down the ponds and we'd catch buckets of these things um, and just enjoy them. You know, enjoy holding the water, you know, the water new, the great crested new. It's our biggest species of new and uh, holding them um, in your hands. And they produce this sort of white, milky, defensive fluid and the smell, just the smell of that. Not that I've been able to smell it since 1981, but the smell of a slightly distressed, uh, overly poached body, great crested you is the most evocative smell for me. It takes me right back to those days. But then what, watching them, I used to go up to the ponds at night with a torch. And, and this oh, is yeah. most people, well, a lot of people wouldn't even consider doing. But it's the best thing to do. Same with rock pooling, go out at night with a torch. Um, and I love going, I do it to my own pond. I've got palmate newts in the pond here on the edge of Dartmoor. And, uh, and I just watch at this time of the year, go down to the pond at night and stare at the water with a head torch and you see them courty, you can watch them laying eggs, you can see through the water so much clearer as well. And I used to do that with great crested newts. I mean, I bred great crested newts in a fish tank at the bottom of the garden. You know, that was my, that was the, the new, I used to love watching the females once they'd mated, uh, laying their eggs. Um, and they do, it, it must be like wrapping a, a parcel or a present behind your back with your, you know, whilst blindfolded. Because, I mean, watching them, they literally do it with their back legs. They, You see them, the egg, they lay the egg, and then they sort of cup the leaf that they're laying their egg into, and then they sort of, using their, their back feet, they then fold it over to make a kind of a an egg, I won't say a burrito, but a taco. It's like an egg taco made out yeah. of the... Um, the leaves of the pondweed and watching them doing that. And this is first hand observation. This isn't stuff out of books. This is the stuff that I remember thrilling to as a small boy. And to me, great crested newts is the way. I mean, they're just such stunning animals. It's just a shame they are. Um, it's a shame they're on the Wildlife and Countryside Act in some ways because um, it's denied generations and generations of kids doing the same thing. Yeah, I had to wait till I got my license so I could photograph them, which was very frustrating. <laughs> um, it took me, for lot, for various reasons, it took me years to get one. Um, but I do remember my first one. I was in my mid-twenties. So, bear in mind, I live in Essex, which is full of the blooming things. But I never really pond dipped outside my own pond and stuff till I came back from university and stuff. And there's a, my local park, which I went to as a kid all these times. There's a pond at the bottom of the hill, which I very rarely went down to at the time. Um, Essex Wildlife Trust moved in, put a ponding platform on it so you could go and stand on it. And I kept seeing what I thought were fish coming up when it was all murky. Went in where it hadn't rained for a little while. So it's crystal clear, this pond. Obviously, a dog hadn't been in it, which <laughs> frequently is these days. 
and I could uh, one of these fish came up. I went, hold on, because they're so big, aren't they? If you're used to normal newts, great crystal newts. And I looked, peered through the water, and on a log underneath, there was a male caught in a female. And I thought, well, you can't do much better than that for your first <laughs> first viewing of one. But, oh, yeah. they're beautiful. And, they're, and they're, when they're in their sort of breeding finery, the males are, they're pond dragons to me. Yeah. They they just got those lovely, all those flaps and flanges and those frills yeah. and, and the colour, and that lovely silver, that stripe yeah. on the end of the tail, oh. which fades into the rest of the body. And then that beautiful sort of, orange unblotched underbelly which has that lovely unique pattern that's the other thing i used to do is, is work out that i'd you know I, um i'd seen these animals before i've worked out on my own that they all had their own patterns on their bellies so yeah. over the newts in my tank because of the patterns on their bellies each one has a very unique pattern and and that all that stuff you know and yes you can get all that you can find some of this information in books but it's not the same if you've learned if you taught yourself it sticks in a different way and i'm gonna actually shock both of you now yeah i have never seen a great crested newt you know, in I was this just country thinking to myself you've never mentioned that you've right well vic i'll sort you out no problem i live in bloody essex um I'm... in in this country i've yeah. never oh, this seen country. them in this country where did you see them? Bulgaria. You haven't seen great crested newts then? Because <laughs> there'll be the Balkan crested newt down there. Uh, oh, we saw numerous different ones. Yeah, I don't think they've got... Because that's one reason they're so protected here, because um, the great crested newt is found almost in... Well, I think it's found in Belgium and the Netherlands and a few bits. So, I'll have great, to double Nick, check, because we worked with a herpetologist. They split them, though. Oh, well, uh, this we, could be one of these, is it a species, subspecies things again. Yeah, but. we worked with a herpetologist, and he called this particular one a great crested newt, because we've got the Balkan crested newt and the Danube crested newt. Oh, well, maybe. Gosh, this podcast just gets more and more controversial. It does. <laughs> it? Well, last, oh, well I'm, I'm sticking with their species, because it gives them, what justifies them being protected more. <laughs> yeah, my, my local uh, Essex and Finn Reptile group, my, some of my colleagues are doing a photo directory of the great crested newts from the fingerprinting of the belly uh, you, you you know john cranfield don't you i Nick? know john very well yes yeah i thought you did yeah it's i think it's his company did some mitigation in basil and wickford area and that site where they dug the ponds is probably better than the it's one of the few normally mitigation is a bit controversial because you can't recreate the habitat but i think he can quite fairly say the habitat he's created is superior to what they replaced it from and it's full of adders and there's every pond is stuffed full of great crested newts but i think i'm gonna go with palmate newt at the moment and i do like a grass snake as well because uh, they're the rarest amphibian in well yeah they are the rarest amphibian in essex which certainly the rarest newt. Oh, isn't it, is it, doesn't that just say it's where you're yeah. from it's what yeah. rare is or what is very much uh, a subjective thing yeah. What well, you've experienced. I mean, because I'm I, I'm not bored of them by any means, but you know, all we've got here are palmates. I mean, literally every water body, even the buckets, even the buckets of rainwater that I've got underneath the leaky gutter on the shed, yeah. are, are the, the, the the pond is so full of palmates that they are desperate for new water. So they will climb up and they'll breed in the buckets here. I mean, they just, <laughs> they, they just you can't stop. Oh. Them. They're everywhere. Well, we've they're basically a wood, almost a woodland species in Essex because. <laughs> Because they like soft and more acidic water, and of course it's clay soil around here, so it's certainly in South Essex anyway. Um, and we set the one, the one survey we oh no two surveys are squeezing before the uh, lockdown. Uh, we went to a uh, funny enough another site that I technically worked at, but I didn't get to obviously never visited at night because I'm teaching kids. And we surveyed this pond, and it's the one pond that's properly sheltered from the dogs, and it's this big shallow pond. 
And if there wasn't a thousand, two thousand Palmate newts in it, I'd be surprised because you shine a torch. You can't beat a good torch survey. You shine a torch and sort of twenty newts from away, and you just and it's like this one square meter, and you multiply it up, and it literally was every square meter was full of all these newts. And just they say, oh, you get a great Christian newt sitting in a deeper pond, like on the site that John manages, and you just see it. Oh, it's firing with the silver and sort of floating, and oh, they're amazing creatures, newts. You just can't. Oh, I see. I'm just gonna have to go with the common toad. But I also like toads. See, I I can't see that it. has a place in my heart. But yeah. you know, having spent several years now with the same colony of toads every year, and I miss them this year because of lockdown and various other things. But oh, I just love them. Their eyes and their personality, and the fact that you get pink ones—it's amazing. Yeah, they are cool. Pink ones. You know, when you find that little Pinot Grigio blush toad. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. it. I'm with you. When they get the, when they get the, the yeah the red poison glands I love that I haven't found, found one since I've had a camera I just realised that I used to get in my garden all the time I think they're nearly extinct in my mum's house because obviously well it's just <laughs> everyone's putting fences panels up and everything else yeah. well st- staying on the uh, on the track of favourite animals and that we had a, another question from Maya um, which would be if you could see one bird or animal in the world what would it be I've got, oh, I think I can guess that's easy. Yeah, pink fairy arm with a Yeah. <laughs> it's because I've, I've still not seen one, not alive anyway. Um, and this was the animal that I captured my imagination. Um, and it's the, it's the small, smallest armadillo in the world. And uh, I went off to make a film uh, as part of, in fact, the whole weird creep. In fact, two TV series um, which were sold on the strength of the story of this animal that I told the producer. The first series... The producer bought the series concept, but didn't go for Pink Fairy Armadillo because it was too expensive to do. So uh, back in the day, a long time ago now, back in the early mid nineties, um, I did a program called Nick's Quest, which was me going off looking for things. Um, it's as simple as that. It wasn't very complicated, um, and I sold the idea, the concept of that series, based on my story of the Pink Fairy Armadillo. So that never got made, and then many years later. Um, I pitched the concept for weird creatures, um, which uh, was a similar idea. The idea was looking for is sticking up for the underdogs, the evolutionary uglies, the things that people love to hate, etc. And the pink pharaoh was the animal I used in my face to face pitch with the, uh, the commissioner. And uh, yeah, he bought the idea, and that was the first program went to went to make, and of course failed to see it. So I still love that episode, though. It's just it's it's a classic. It's it really real. is. It's real. Yeah, <laughs> I liked it. It's it's weird because normally shows like that it wouldn't be it it doesn't have the satisfying ending, but it just worked. I just really I remember talking to my wife about it which is my girlfriend at the time, but they're saying it, it's weird. That should be a kind of, oh, that's really frustrating to see, but it isn't. It's just a... Well, we but, all know that it's a bit of a cliche, but it's, yeah. it's not necessarily the destination, is it? It's the journey. And and as a naturalist, um, and we've all, and I'm sure your audience uh, all agree with this, but often the best experiences aren't the ones you set out to get. That it's the thing, it's the curveball that comes around the corner when you're least expecting it. And that becomes the memorable experience. And and to make a TV show where you are trusting um, that process is quite a it's a it's kind of refreshing. I mean I did it deliberately because I knew one, we couldn't afford to do any other way, but also it was it, it it's being ballsy, it's challenging the 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 trend to make natural history programs 
more and more polished, more contrived, more glorious in many ways, but in some ways less and less accessible and less real. And, uh, and for me, I thought back to when I was a researcher at the BBC, um, I was only there for like six months. I didn't particularly like it because I'm not a townie. So I struggled in the evening. I didn't, you know, there was no blues bars anywhere for me to go. So I entertained myself by uh, abusing my position as a researcher and and ordering up all sorts of you know some of the original film rolls from the archive and just sitting in the in the these little basement rooms and strolling through old films and I I, so I remember seeing old Attenborough stuff where oh, yeah. um, you know Attenborough is just being not the sort of the polished professional that we now know but he's being genuinely he's been an explorer he's really enjoying he, you see the you see what it is that got him where he's got to. Mm. But you see it in a very raw and unrefined manner. And that, I just thought, I looked at it and thought, that's really refreshing. So when you're given a TV program concept and you don't have any money, you can't compete with yeah. the big Sunday evening, you know, wildlife wallpaper, blue chip type productions. You can't compete. There's no way you can get that sort of a shot. So what tends to happen is you go the other way. You make it real. You make it something people relate to. And, uh, and that's kind of, you know, that's, that was sort of, partly a, a function of the situation but also oh, i was very deliberate as well you owned it as they say yeah i mean of course remember you talk about the old Attenboroughs. i think it was zoo quest he in madagascar he couldn't find the pygmy comedian could he because we didn't know at the time it yes. lived in the leaf litter so i did i found it yeah <laughs> there you go you outdid it <laughs> <laughs> I found it, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, it was quite a um, yeah, it's quite it, it's it's quite a thing doing these uh, doing these shows. But you're right, the, the old zoo quest. I mean, there's no, it's it's not a coincidence. That my first series that I did on my own uh, was called Nick's Quest because yeah. I was sitting there in the in the in the um, uh, in the production meeting going, I want to do something that's that's like this. It's like Zoo Quest. It's like that that it has that 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 rawness to it um but it's not it's not we haven't got a zoo involved um so and some someone just said oh we'll just call it next quest that'll do next <laughs> and that was it so uh so that's how it stuck but yeah it's um yeah it's quite a thing i found i was actually doing a gig with attenborough in the natural history museum and i've just seen him talk and I, I opened something and we were having drinks in the mammal gallery afterwards and whilst i'm chatting to him um i'm noticing this is just before weird creatures got commissioned and um, over his shoulder is the, I noticed sitting on its little plinth, is the pink berry armadillo specimen that started my brain going as a kid all those years ago. And uh, it was like, when you meet Attenborough, it's very difficult to not act like a complete idiot because, of course, you go, you know, you go, you start talking gibberish. Um, so I was like desperately, because I'm a biophile, and I was feeling completely out of my depth. I just looked around for some inspiration, and there it was, almost. It almost sort of shone at me over his shoulder, and I just said, "Oh, uh, Sir Dave, have you ever seen one of Have you ever seen one of these?" And then he started telling me about his his stories and um, and how he was really fascinated by this animal, and how he never had seen it or filmed it, and that just made me even more determined, you know. So uh, yeah, it's all it's uh, everything comes full circle, doesn't it? Didn't the expert you had with you that didn't she see it afterwards? I remember you yeah, tweeting yeah, we, something. We'd got home, we'd done the um we'd done the edit had been done, the program was now you couldn't move it, you couldn't touch mm. it, it was a finished deal. Everyone had gone home basically, there it was in the can, and then I got an email from our 
Armadillo expert, saying, you never guess what. Because we put these little wanted posters up all around yeah. Argentina, all around the Mendoza region of Argentina. And Mariella was our uh, expert. And she uh, she emailed me and said, you won't believe it, but guess what? We got a phone call and, uh, <laughs> and someone had caught one or their dog had caught one. And, mm. and there it was. And it was, and what you, I mean, now, in fact, there's some footage of live ones on uh, YouTube now. And they, they actually, that what's happened, this program was very big in South America, went out on Animal Planet. And uh, it, this animal captured the popular imagination. And my oh, watching Animal Planet inspired people. And when they saw this thing, they realized how special it was. So, so everyone who has now bumped into an arm, a pink fairy armadillo in Argentina, has then taken it upon themselves to film it on their phones and brag at me. (laughs) (laughs) In some ways, I've raised its profile as an animal worth seeing, and people are proud of them now. But, uh, yeah, the irony in this is I've still not seen one myself. (laughs) Yeah, send me back to see a pink fairy armadillo before I die, and I'll be very happy. Well, if you need a couple of assistants, I know we can find them. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty sure that we can help. Oh, yes. They might be mammals, but they're, they're um, the uh, what's, I thought it was the group called Gims of X, but um, that group yeah. of mammals don't count it's as not, mammals. There's yeah. Yeah, there's not many ponds there, but I'm sure we can find something for you while it's we're a, over there. It's a big wetland somewhere in that country. Yeah, they've got snakes, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah fine. It's there's, there's lots of great reptiles, actually, and uh, pitfall traps are very, very rewarding there. You get all sorts of really cool stuff, so I, I think you'll probably be very happy, actually. What are they called? Land water scorpions, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's real cool stuff out there. Yeah. So oh. here's one for you then. If I mean, that's kind of any animal in the world. If there's one thing you would like to see in this country that you haven't seen yet, what would it be? Ooh. It goes for you as well, Neil. Shining guest ant. Oh, I've had a look for those. <laughs> I haven't seen them. I love wood ants. Yeah, so shining guest ant is a is a very unusual ant that lives as a commensal in the nests of the Scottish wood ant, and they are is it Scottish wood ant or hairy wood ant? Isn't it former Karufa, the southern wood ant? I thought they were in. Oh, uh, well, well I've looked in those nests. Hope they are in Scotland. <laughs> oh, Scottish Scotland. And as far as I know, they're only these only found in Scotland. I don't know. Look, now I'm out of my depth. Um, I'm going to have to look at it as well. Anyway, the place where I've looked for them and failed dismally is is in in Cairngorm National Park. There's several other species I'd like to see up there as well. Because actually, um, as far as insect biodiversity goes, uh, the Cairngorms is a national hotspot. I mean, it really is. It's got, you know, if you were to look at biodiversity density uh, or biodiversity richness, um, as far as inverts go, it glows red. Um there's stiletto flies I've never seen. There's endemics there that we never, no one ever talks about, which are, which are up there. Um, but there's also the pine hoverfly. Oh yeah. Um, you know, the list is endless. But yeah, that for me, the, the shining guest ant is the one, and it lives in. So basically, it's a bit like watching, looking at one of those magic paintings. You you gaze a wood ant nest, which is just a mass, a continuously twitching, uh, frenetic mass of insect bodies. And you have to stare at it and stare at it and stare at it to see if some of those ants are different to the others. And and the, the guest ant is tiny uh, in compared to the big wood ants. But you know when you've seen one, apparently, um, because <laughs> their um, uh, exoskeleton is so super glossed. It's, you can actually see your reflection in its abdomen. It's like the 
it's like what it's like that the high um, uh, sheen on the patent leather shoes of the Queen's Guard. I mean, it is so they are so shiny um, and and they're just such a bizarre animal. And I just want to see one. Um, I mean, there's several others, but that is the one I think that would um, I, I probably not impress most people. But for me, yeah, it's a biggie. It's one I want to see. That's on mine. Uh, uh, um, That's pretty cool. I've, I think the one I've looked for as Kangord is top spot from as well is uh, snow fleas, snow oh, yes. scorpion flies. I've urinated on some of those. Yeah. <laughs> not, not that probably I killed them because of the heat, didn't it? That's how I found them. Um, yeah. I, I'd start I somewhere in I somewhere in the Midlands actually. I don't know, in Gloucester. Somewhere, well, I was, you can I, get them everywhere, but yeah, it's more common yeah. than Kangords. Yeah, they're 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 a, they're a basically a scorpion fly, a, a wingless scorpion fly that, that 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 survives and thrives in in temperatures around about zero, I believe. So, um, but yeah, yeah. You pick them up, they die from the heat of your hand. I mean, that's just so really cool. Yeah, there's, there's a couple, there's a few pond creatures in my life. I'm still after a freshwater bryozoan. I got the tadpole shrimps and fairy shrimps. Oh, you're shrimps. so niche, Neil. <laughs> no, I'm very niche. Have you, have you have you seen the wild triops? Uh, I have. I've seen wild triops. I've seen lots of different species yeah, out. Cool. Um, I mean, I've been very lucky. I mean, triops are. Oh, cool. Yeah, if you go abroad, they're not that <laughs> as yeah, hard as the UK, are they? Me and triops are like that. I've seen them actually on oh, Salisbury Plain back in the day um, in the old tank tracks up there. Uh, Is that triops or fairy shrimp? Uh, it's triops. Yeah. So, so, they've got triops on Salisbury as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought it was only strips in New Forest. Oh, that's news to me. Uh, no, yeah, we, well, it's not. If you look at it as, as far as the crow flies, well, yeah. They certainly were there. I don't know if they. I mean, this was twenty-five years ago, so then maybe they're not there now. But yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if I know they've still got fairy shrimps up there, but I yeah. don't know about anything else now. They've got two species of fairy shrimp on Salisbury Plain now. They've oh. got the French species has turned up apparently. They reckon when they, when they did manoeuvres in the tanks in France and brought them back. With them, so, wow, yeah. wow. Well, it's certainly possible, isn't it? I mean, the um, all these little temporary water bodies are. I mean, that's the beauty of them. All these creatures can blow around as dust, effectively. I mean, they, they when they, when they've gone into, I guess, senescence, not senescence. What's the word I'm looking for? When they've pretty much shut down, they become eggs. Those yeah. eggs, you you can't detect any sign of life in these things at all. They they become almost inanimate, and then they rehydrate in water. And they can, in the meantime, they could have blown they could have blown around a long way. So I guess, um, I, yeah, I guess they they distribute themselves pretty well. But uh, yeah, I'm, I, yeah, it was it was. Oh, yeah, it was the new. It was the sorry, it was the Salisbury Plain, but it was a long time ago. So whether it's a historic, yeah, it's possible. But that reminds me, there's other creatures. There's things like, um, you know, uh, I'd just love to be the person who refines the new forest cicada, wouldn't you? Oh yeah. Um, oh, I, I was at Crockford Stream, and we, I was there with someone that had heard cicadas in Europe, the same species, and we were standing there going, that does not sound like a cricket. And yeah. we, we we went towards this copse of trees and it stopped. But we don't know whether it was the fact there's lots of crickets calling at a distance. Yeah. We just don't know. But yeah, it was it was. Yeah, who is convinced they heard one, um, but didn't get it recorded, so they they can't be sure. Um, and there's a there's a cicada. I hope it's gone a bit quiet. I don't know if you've heard the latest, but there was a a cicada app that you could. Yeah. Uh, that you could download to your smartphone and you could um, try and you know record around the new forest where, wherever you went. But it would be lovely to see them. But you know it, we're running. You know they have well. There's our, there's there's a theory that they have these um, 
these mass emergencies and they have a, a, a cycle um, with, like lots of cicada species. And the, the fact we haven't seen them for a while is because um, they're still all underground. Um, but we are running out. If you look at the dates where they have been found in, yeah. in I think we're out of the cycle now, perhaps. But who knows? Who knows? Mole crickets, another one. I'd like to see a British Ooh, mole. Yeah. Um, I have seen the walk biters, so I was quite pleased I got them. Yeah, I've, I've seen, I've not photographed, but seen the walk biters up here. Because I know we've got them in Somerset. Ah, so is that another reinstruction site? Uh, I think they were found by accident ah. by a friend of mine. So we're out, obviously not at the moment, but like last few years, we've been out a lot, just a couple of sites. And you, we love our grasshoppers and crickets anyway. And you go and you look and go, that's not a normal one. And then, yeah, we it was just found completely by accident. Oh, see what's what I love about this country. There's loads of little secret places, and there's, and, and and also a lot of us are out of tune with it all as well. That's the other thing. I mean, I know, you know there's a lot of people looking, and there's we live in a very crowded island. You think, well, what the chances of something missing, uh, uh, you know, or us missing something are fairly slim. But you know, you could also argue how many people have seen a badger. You know, this is one of our mm-hmm. large animals, and the answer to that is not that many. So you're thinking, well. That's how disconnected we are. So what's the chances of being able to us to find a, a small insect, even if it is as big and spectacular as a warbiter? You know, it's it's easy to overlook these things. It's amazing how many sort of out and out birders just have, well, they don't have any interest in like insects and stuff. And I won't say they look down their nose at me, but, you know, I'll be walking around an Irish Review Reserve and they'll be like, oh, what are you seeing? And then you say, oh, it's this such such weevil. And they're like, oh, and carry on walking. And well, I'm usually... Uh, distracted by dragonflies and the marsh hogs I'm going around there in summer but yeah it's it's, it's at least most of them pay attention to the marsh hogs a bit <laughs> they are big well, and green and loud so it's hard I was going to say the them. noise that any of the green frog family make yeah. is you have to kind of pay attention to them really random slightly random tangent when we're going mark frogs have, have you seen uh, someone put something online Nick a quote from I think it's the 17th century talking about ranas small light green ranas sitting on leaves in UK in the Cambridgeshire Fens so it may be I mean the ones that are in the new forest the tree frogs obviously weren't native because we're pretty sure they were introduced but it does make you wonder if they were native once upon a time Ooh, that's interesting so where's that where's that come from where's this is it Celtic reptiles it's the chap that breeds all the European reptiles and amphibians and has a um is it Celtic it's, uh, Jack Perks has, has teamed up with him, done some bits with him. Uh, I don't know. Oh, um, have you had Jack Perks on yet talking about his new his new fish book? No, but we'll do, I'm going to get him on to publicise right. it when it comes I'll, out. I'll, I, think. I won't give that away. I've just reviewed it yeah. for BBC Wildlife, and it's an yeah. absolute cracker. He was he said he was very happy with it, so I'm not surprised. My amazing book. Jack Jack's photographs are are just how I see fish. I mean, I, I'm not a snorkel one, obviously, but I. I snorkel freshwater quite a lot, so I spend a lot of time snorkeling. Some people will do it in the ocean, but I do it in my local river or the ponds and stuff, and I love seeing... Again, it's pushing your boundaries, isn't it? It's an adventure. Yeah. Um, You've yeah. got some lovely rivers near you. <laughs> I'm very <laughs> jealous. Yeah, I have. My, yeah, I'm a bit lucky. But, but yeah, I mean, seeing his pictures of freshwater fish, that's, that's seeing fish in their element, literally, and it is a really refreshing... Uh, it's a refreshing book. There's not a single book. There's a much-needed book. Um, everyone is into fish. 
whether you're an angler or a naturalist or, or a freshwater ecologist, it's got to, it's a must have. But I won't ruin it for another episode because that's very much uh, that's very much uh, um, some, someone else's shout. But it's a cracking book. <laughs> Love it. And Jack's a very top top a good egg, as you would say. A good uh, egg. He's a nice bloke as well. He is. Yeah. Well, put it this way: when I was coming back from Yorkshire one day, I said, "Oh, do you fancy meeting up?" You know, do so. He said, "Oh, yeah, come round. We'll uh, we'll go looking for the uh, spine loach. I know you want to see those." Came round, took me into his house, took me into his shed full of aquariums, and this is where I got the idea in the first place. And um, we went out, and we we didn't find any loach. Got a nice perch and a, a nine spine stickleback, which I hadn't photographed before, so that was quite nice. Oh, yeah, he's, he's just a top bloke. It's one of our rarest fish. What the spine loach? The spine loach, is it not? Yeah, uh, I, I work somewhere that's got them. I did catch one later. Uh, I've, I've got some. Uh, check out my Instagram. I've got a load of photos of it on there, actually. Oh, but, um, I, will, I will. I will. I'll have another look. I'll try and show one tomorrow. If I can get, I'm going to upload a picture to my phone tonight if if we ever finish. <laughs> I don't want to stop this. We're just going to, I'm going to, I've decided it's going to be a two part episode now, so we've got to go on for another five minutes. It'll have, to, it'll have to be a part one, part two. It's going to have, have to be. Have we got a quick fire round, though? Have we got things that I'm not right. allowed to on for hours though. oh no oh, unless Vic's falling asleep which is not so we'll carry on no 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 I'm <laughs> sorry, I'm, sorry, I'm, sorry. I'm quite happy you know well here's uh, one Nick have you got any questions for either myself or Neil oh they're a bit technical really they're, about, they're, they're usually about ph- photography because um, as I may or may not have uh, have told you I'm a great fan of both of your works um, Neil because I see he, can, he manages to capture what I see, um, uh, but I haven't yet managed to master myself. So it's that looking into that uh, that watery realm and, and uncovering stuff. And then the stuff I've seen of yours, Vic, is 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 just it's it's visual poetry. You know, it's I just love the you show me things which are so familiar. And I I'm not sure which book it was you showed me at the bird fair last year, but but just. You know, there was quite a few uh, amphibians in there, if I recall, and they were they were all just as as glorious, as enticing. They're very intimate, very um, very characterful images, and it's it's a style I've I've never been able to. Well, I, you've inspired me to look at the world in a different way, which ultimately is the job. In fact, both of you have, which is ultimately the job of a photographer so um so um all my questions would be uh would be technical ones and and i mean i've already you know before we even got going i, I was chatting to you Vic, Vic has made me look at the lights that i have i have a little led lights that i've not really been using creatively at all and she's just given me some ideas as to how actually i've been i've got the toys i've got all the gear but no idea <laughs> that's what you'd say so uh so yeah um what questions have i got it's is that's a you put me on the spot now you see yeah. <laughs> I, um you should get revenge on me tomorrow now Vic. you know don't you? <laughs> it's just it's all the t- it's all the um yeah it's it's the tips of how you how you look at the world i mean how do you uh, uh to you vic first how do you see the photographs because that's part of it it's almost seeing the photograph before it happens how do you do what you do how do you judge when's the time to press that shutter down i think if i'm honest i think i tend to i tend to feel a photo more than see it and that might sound a bit weird but so with a lot of my frogs and toads in particular i've spent a lot of time with the same one so i spent 
four or five months with the Perez's frogs on sunset levels. You know, I was down there every day, lying on the edge of the pond with them, got to know them all individually, you know, really immersed myself in their lives and what they do day to day. And then when you get to know them and you find a way to get close to them, because anything like the frogs and toads, they're particularly like the Perez's frogs, marsh frogs are the same, pool frogs. They're very skittish and jumpy. So you have to find a way to get close to them. And when you kind of work out what field craft skills you need and you perfect them and then you realize you can actually get right up close to them and they don't mind and you get to see all this amazing intimate behavior. Um, you know, I mean, I, I knew that frogs shed their skin, but until I actually observed it myself and photographed it, you know, it, it's an amazing thing to actually watch. And so I think for me, I, I spend a lot of time out there just seeing you know how can I create something that I'm feeling if that makes sense so it's not for me I don't I don't want to create images that are just show the subject off I, I want to show the character of that subject to show that these these guys really do have amazing little characters that they're, they're just amazing and you know showing them in their habitats as well and so I, th I think really it's spending the time with a small amount of species in a small amount of areas and I think that's one thing uh, when I started the Forgotten Little Creatures project that kind of made me because my, my restrictions were everything had to be taken within about 30 miles of my house um, and actually with the exception of one flower was 37.5 miles from my house <laughs> everything within five years was taken within 30 miles of my house and I only worked at a handful of reserves and every time I went down there I just sat there and I didn't you know sit there just taking loads of photos I sat there and I watched and I, I looked at what went on and then when the time was right and I felt the time was right I would just take the picture see that's it there's the secret right there it's put the time and get to know your subject I mean that's that's what you're pretty much saying isn't it you're you're yeah immersing yourself in their world and watching for those moments that you can you know might want to capture later on so that was so that, that's, that's a that's a brilliant answer that is brilliant on one level because it's I, I really really get it it's really bad on another because it means that actually it's the sort of stuff you don't get in books which means you've got to You've got to have a crack at it. You've just got to work it out for yourself. So so it's not the sort of thing you can't. It's not like a formula where you go, right, here's your camera. That's the distance. You put the subject there. Your flash has to be at this angle. And bang, there's your photograph. It's much more, it's much more uh, almost spiritual, isn't it, really? Yeah, very much. And if, if I take, so my white snake's head fritillary that has the rainbow underneath it is probably an image I am best known for now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um I, I took that image three, four years ago. I've been going to that site for five years. I cannot recreate that photo myself. And I took it. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those. I mean, people say there's an element of luck in photography. And there really is because everything just aligned that morning. And there is stuff that you can do to certainly put the odds in your favor. I mean, I spent a couple of weeks looking at the weather forecast deciding which would be the best day for me to go to the reserve knowing that it was an hour away by car I'd need to be out the house by about 3 4 a.m to get there to you know hit the peak time when I'd get the right amount of light but it, it's making making sure the weather conditions are right so 
you know, I wanted to go when I knew there would be a lot of dew, but I'd also get a lovely sunrise up there or a lovely soft sunrise um, that would give me the light. So checking weather conditions, um, you know, and also knowing the right time of year to look for something. So something like a snake's head fritillary. Okay, they did flower early this year, but everything's flowered early this year. Uh, but generally speaking, they flower in April. So there's no point in looking in June for them. So th there are some elements that you can definitely research and put, you know, favour the odds to you. And I think knowing your equipment and knowing how to use it and how to get what you want out of it is a is a really big thing. You don't have to have the best of the best, the top end, the latest. Uh, I've used the same camera and lens combination now for about four years and probably 95% of my work is done with that combination and well, I wouldn't change it for the world. That's nice as well once you've found something you're comfortable with because it means you don't have that horrible uh, ball and chain that a lot of photographers, including myself, uh, carry around with them, which is all the other stuff that you think you might use and you never do. So you end up sort of carrying a, a backpack full of stuff around where actually the thing you've got strapped your sides all you need, really. So, uh, well, that's really refreshing to hear. And, what, um, and Neil, for you, um, obviously, I have, I've spoken to you before. Um, you've given me some top tips on good optical quality glass to make my little aquariums out of. Um, I found the best way was a couple of bulldog clips, a couple of sheets of glass, one with yeah. is it high lead glass on the front um, and a bit of rubber tube sandwiched between the two in a sort of a U formation. That's all great. But I really struggle with all the, it's like having, it's like doing macro photography with a whole bunch of other problems. Yeah. So, so reflections <laughs> off glass, uh, illumination, uh, bounce, light bouncing around in places I didn't want it to bounce, particles in the flipping water. Yeah. That yeah. is just, I mean, what are your, what, can you tell me any of your secrets or is it, is it, top, is it proper, is it your own recipe and you're not going to divulge oh. it? Oh no, it's, it, believe me, I have days like that sometimes. I might have mentioned before on this podcast, I've had days where I've had a half hour lunch break and I photographed four different species really well. They came in, they sat lovely, no problems in the water, no problem with reflections. And other days I spent two, three hours and basically come away with nothing because of reflection. But I find if you have an animal about a centimetre long and zoom right in, you suddenly get rid of a lot of the problems. Because even if you get a bit of reflection on the front glass, you might lose a bit of contrast, but you don't really notice. And you can, you know, don't, don't turn any purist, I said this, but you just turn up the contrast bar a little bit afterwards. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anyone <laughs> and a fair bit of trial and error i'll do something i thought was exactly the same as before and it won't work yeah where to start it's uh come on my workshop Kavir. <laughs> uh, it. um, uh, but... it's all a big advert yeah it is, it is. yeah <laughs> um, uh, swapsies yeah <laughs> we should just get together and do a big group one we should yeah why not eh? i mean i'm not sure what i'll bring to the table but it'd be fun <laughs> well you bring the name at least <laughs> I well, I'll get maybe maybe i don't know i don't know if it's worth that but, yeah. uh, um, but anyway well, it sounds brilliant i mean this has been fun i've enjoyed this this has been a a lovely way of spending a lockdown evening um chatting with a bunch of like-minded people about the sort of things that most people in my life don't want to hear about so it's great <laughs> oh, it's, it's been really good actually just chatting and you know hearing your side of things and you know what you're up to as well and yeah, it's just, 
believe it or not, I haven't even asked all the questions, but I think we'll leave some of them. Yeah. <laughs> We've been here all night. I mentioned a couple of things. We briefly touched on it. Um, there's no point mentioning that I'll be on, on it because <laughs> this, I'm not going to get this edited before then. But Nick's got a live broadcast on Instagram, uh, 11.30 a.m., uh, is it every weekday doing Nick pretty much? It's, it's been every well, it's been every day, but I'm going to try yeah. and make it every weekday just because yeah. it, it becomes uh, I I it's 11:30 is a bit late for me, so yeah. it means that the weekend I can't get stuck into something without having to stop and do an hour, and then then by the time the hour's over, it's lunchtime, and before I've I can't get back into anything then. But so yeah, every weekday, certainly as far as lock uh, while we're in lockdown, but. Um, there is definitely a request to do some uh, to carry on some form. Um, I haven't experienced uh, or experimented with any of the other social media platforms, but I suspect I will be. So I might end up jumping over at some point, but I will put details on websites and stuff. But it's been a it's really been a, a, um, a tool. Well, my daughter started me off. My 13-year-old daughter just said one day, why don't you do an Instagram Live, Dad? And I said, I didn't know what that was. I didn't know how to do it. So she showed me, and suddenly we were live, and loads of questions started coming. And I thought, well, actually, this is doing me good because it gives me some feels, gives me some sense of purpose if I can share my, um, you know, what I, you know the, the, the limited knowledge I've got and share it with people and give them some ideas um, of how to get going, how to kick off. We, ch- we chat about all sorts of stuff. It's very, very informal. And occasionally I get guests on and I share, you know, we, we get them to show us around their world and that's what we are going to be doing uh, uh, at some point. But the sad thing is, or the beauty of it is in some ways, but also the sad thing is it, it, it doesn't last for more than a day. Um, it, it stays on there as a recording, but after 24 hours it vanishes. But um, I think you um, can make it so it archives it. I was looking today, but I'll talk to you about that after we finish recording. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or well, maybe we'll talk about it at some point and then we can, um, we mm. can, but anyway, it's a, it's an interesting thing and um, it's a whole new way of broadcasting. The only difference, the only downside is that no one's paying me to do it. So, mm. um, um, so at the moment it's about keeping me sane and doing my little bit to bring hopefully a little bit of something into uh, other people's lives that are, some of them are struggling. You know, some of my followers are struggling with the, the isolation, um, in in lots of ways it's quite we're all very complicated and it's all relative but um mm. but yeah it's nice to be able to help a few people out you know every day if i can so uh, it's my it's why it's, it's the little thing i give back but um but yeah it, it's fun i enjoy it it's been, I've, I've been enjoying them uh tuning in i usually tune in at about quarter to 12 12 because by the time i've got my kids settled down for lunch i can sit down and turn it on but uh my, my four-year-old has been sitting down watching me you've been out competing paw patrol some days so you're doing well especially wow. in the garden she likes she likes it when you're in the garden <laughs> so that's that's doing well i can't compete with paw patrol so <laughs> but, uh, oh we had so many other questions but uh oh, uh maybe i have to get you on again nick at another time if, if you stick them on the face stick the yeah. Do a Q&A and stick it on the Facebook page. We can do that. We can certainly yeah. do that. Be, Good, uh, actually, yeah. You still there, Nick? Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, <laughs> it cuts you off at the end of the sentence sometimes. I've got to mention the pseudo-scorpion search, which is part of your... I wish I hadn't started that now. Yeah. Oh, so I'm going to start another one just to give you more of a headache, which is uh, the Hydra search. Ah, yes. Well, that, that's not so difficult, yeah. is it? Uh, well, yes and no. I've had it, I've been hit and miss with it. I, I, I tried to find some at work, and then I scooped out a bit of weed and found that huge one I put a photograph up of. So I might even try and show that tomorrow if I can. You've got to have the right pot. I don't. I've had one. I, I, I don't think I've seen any in this pond, but I've had them in the past. They're they're very cool, very cool things. 
Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, what, what are we up to? This is gives me a record length. Hours, hours. Of <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh, we haven't quite. We're probably going to hit the two-hour mark if I don't finish in the minute. It's going to be fun to edit. We better say um, thank you to you, Nick. Thank you so yeah, much big, for coming massive, on. Massive, massive thank you for coming on and chatting oh, with thank us. Thank you. It's been an utter pleasure. It's been wonderful. We were both massive fans of the Really Wild Show back in the day. So, uh, yeah, yep. grew up on those. <laughs> Didn't even, I barely asked you about that at all, did I? But uh, yeah, yeah, we'll have to do a live show or something. But um, yes, thanks everyone for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that. Both episodes I'll put now because it's going to be two. I've edited them down, I think. And uh, we'll see you all next time, I guess. Yeah, just just take care. And and please do get involved in our, our wall plants on, oh, yes. um, on Twitter. And I, I promise to post some updates to Facebook as well. I'm not as active on Facebook right now, so most of the stuff's going on Twitter. But I promise to get those photos uploaded to Facebook. And please join in because we want to see what wall plants you've got around the country. Yeah. We're going to make it a little mini UK wildlife podcast wall plant project. There we go. Okay. So you can add your photos to it and then you know we'll, we'll try and get them all id'd as well because i think that's that's also great i mean i've you know learned some great new ids for mine um so you know please do keep being involved thank you i'll just say thank you once again nick and uh yeah, thank you very much see you later everybody all right take care all right. Bye. bye hi everyone neil here just a quick note if you want to tune to nick's show it's now on at 9 a.m on instagram on weekdays his username is nick underscore bug underscore baker